Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest and best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, Question Mark founder and EVP of Lenocity, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Andre Allen, who's a managing member and executive vice president of Fifth Theory. Andre's got over 30 years of experience in the test publishing industry. He began his career in 1989 with Reed Psychological Systems, who were a founding member of the Association of Test Publishers, ATP. And over the past 30 or so years, Andre has been responsible for the conceptualization and development of large-scale systems and technologies for the secure administration and scoring of assessments. Andre has pioneered many of the technologies that are the basis for a lot of the assessment delivery and scoring options used today. He sits on the board of directors of several industry-related organizations, including the ATP, where he's the current board secretary, as well as with the Human Resources Certification Institute. Andre holds a BS in information technology with a concentration in project management, as well as an MBA with a concentration in information technology management from Capella University. Welcome, Andre. Thank you for having me, John. I'm very, very happy to be here. We're really pleased to to have you, as I know from lots of conversations with you, you're a very smart and uh, wise person. So tell us how you got into assessment. Uh, I don't know if my wife would agree that I'm smart, but uh, I'll take the compliment anyway. But uh, yeah, really, my my path into the assessment industry was not necessarily a straight line. I don't even think it was really a curved road. It was pretty much a zigzag. Um, I literally uh, began with a small company back in 1989 called Reed Psychological Systems. Um, Prior to a lot of the technologies we use today to sort of administer and score assessments, these were literally paper and pencil assessments that were delivered to people sitting in classrooms or applying for jobs. Um, And I was an operator. I I was what they called a test analyst. And test administrators would literally pick up the phone with the answer sheet and they'd uh, read the bubbled off answers to me. And I'd put them into our scoring scoring systems and I'd read back a recommendation. And context then uh, was being hired for a retail job or um, interviewed uh, by loss prevention managers. And I'd say whether a person, you know, was recommended or there were concerns or other things. So my, that was my entry into the testing industry. And did you enjoy it? I mean, did, did you stay? Obviously, you did stay, but why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and and it, was, it was really weird because um, I, was, um, I was sort of a computer hobbyist and, and sort of a, you know, a, a 80s you know, geek um, at the time. You know, the movie at the time was War Games, so everybody wanted to be a, um, you know, a computer hacker. Um, so I, I, I took kind of a rounded, you know, sort of a weird path into technology. Did, did a lot of programming on my own, obviously, uh, some programming and, and studied computer science science of college, but uh, just didn't have the opportunity to professionally. And so while I was at Reed Systems, uh, one individual, uh, you know, Steve Kaufman, may his soul rest, um, you know, he he always saw a little bit of potential in me. And uh, he definitely opened up doors for me and allowed me to have my first actual industry role in technology, uh, doing technical support. Um, so, uh, you know, I developed uh, a lot of my troubleshooting skill that I use today, or even my problem solving skill that I use today from supporting people over the phone. You know, the, when you can't touch and, and handle the technology, being able to walk a non-technical person, uh, through solving a technical problem actually created the foundation for my logic and reasoning today. So yeah, that's how I entered in. 
eventually uh, moving from that into actual software coding, uh, developing scoring software, um, eventually on to managing IT. And I think you were one of the pioneers in uh, interactive voice response questions testing that way. Is that is that right? Yeah, in the uh, in the late '80s, early '90s, um, Steve, along with the management team at, at Reed Psychological Systems, said, uh, "You know, obviously there was, you know, the internet was in its infancy at the time; it wasn't really ubiquitous. How do we extend the ability and the the velocity at which we could score assessments and deliver assessments?" Well. Um, at the time, phone systems, banking systems, keying in your account information was pretty common uh, over the phone. And, and the idea was, well, what if we could administer tests this way? What if we could score assessments this way? What if we could allow individuals to apply themselves for jobs, um, as well as allow people who are administering tests, you know, store managers, to be able to score tests that way? So, And we stretched the capabilities of several large interactive voice response companies at the time uh, to provide us with sort of guidance, uh, hardware, and code. And we wrote some of the first uh, online assessment. I'd even say the precursor to what we know as the modern applicant tracking system. Uh, we had a small system called Jobs Now, and you can dial a 1-800 number and you can apply for a job. Um, and literally, it was all through interactive voice response with an assessment embedded in line. Um, I think that was kind of the precursor to the modern day applicant tracking system with assessment embedded. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird how those things progress. So, and it was basically people would uh, answer questions on the phone, typing in buttons, sort of one, one for choice one, two for choice two, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and just to show you how the technology has come, there was no um, voice recognition back then. You know, now you have speech to text to sort of take care of those things. And it's not 100 percent accurate. Back then, uh, we had the the ultimate speech to text and we had individuals. Um, so when a person applied for a job, part of the application process, you'd literally record your name and other information that couldn't be keyed in on the phone. And then we had a bank of people in a call center. A uh, record would pop up and you'd hear the recording and they transcribe the information directly into the record uh, so that that record's now data for the customer um, as they wanted to view it. So, yeah, um, it was uh, pretty much a, a full soup to nuts front end or, or um, hourly job uh, application system. And what sort of uh, technology did you use? Yeah, it's funny. We used uh, Visual Basic. <laughs> so uh, using Visual Basic and C++, we had to have um, C++ running on these machines. And, and, and I'm going to date myself here because we had iterations that ran on Windows NT, uh, which was an operating system that existed probably before a lot of our current um, technologists were born, <laughs> um, uh, you know, running C++. Uh, and then we even upgraded that to a more robust OS2 operating system by IBM, which does not exist anymore, <laughs> uh, in order to get uh, maximum throughput and maximum call volume. No, oh, I remember all those things, and uh, those were great times. Uh, so, so then I think uh, Reed merged with various other companies, uh, and you were with Pearson and, and some other companies? Yes, in 2001, um, Pearson decided to bring together two of the big powerhouses in the assessment industry. Uh, so there was London House um, and Reed Psychological Systems, both fierce competitors in the market. Um, both were part of the founding of ATP and, and the defense of testing that occurred uh, when there was the attack on testing back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, 
put those two organizations together with the idea of now having a, a, a larger powerhouse and a larger body of science uh, to actually uh, bring the market, bring to the market. So, uh, yeah, we came together with, with them in 2001, um, and uh, we did quite a bit of business together as, as one unit, Pearson Reed London House under NCS Pearson captured several uh, large opportunities, developed our technology out even more, and did so to such a success um, that we even saw success in commercial markets as well as government. And uh, with that, um, in 2007, a company named Veritas Capital um, um, picked up uh, the federal side of Pearson's business and took us along with it. Um, So we became a company called Vangent. Um, and we delivered our assessments to millions of individuals and call centers and federal uh, opportunities, as well as maintaining our commercial footprint. Um, and we did that successfully up until about 2011. Um, and that's when we became part of General Dynamics. And then uh, you were with General Dynamics for, for a while. And then I believe you've uh, spun it off as uh, Fifth Theory, which is an independent company that you own. Absolutely, absolutely, and it was a it was an interesting journey because uh, we we continued to perform well inside of General Dynamics. Um, great leader uh, Phoebe Novakovich came back to General Dynamics around that time and really decided to place a focus on what General Dynamics did fa- did best, and that's serving um, the DoD and armed services and the federal government. Uh, we were one of those great uh, commercial things that performed well, but didn't necessarily align with strategy. Um, um, so we were given the opportunity to take this small patch of business and and uh, do something with it. And myself and my business partner, Jack Jones, Eric Hutchison, Catalina Soto, uh, decided this was a good opportunity to take the vision forward. A lot of people are, you know, our people are ten, average tenure in my company is about 10, 15 years been in the as- assessment industry. Um, so we felt like we had a, a great set of products, a great set of people, and a lot of great work that we've done for our customers to, to, to not um, take this to market. So that's when we were born as Fifth Theory. And what kind of tests does, does Fifth Theory get involved with or deliver? Well, you know, we've we've run the gambit. So our, our our model is more about attitudes and behaviors, and it's more about what a person will do versus what they can do. A lot of assessments measure specific uh, capabilities or competencies that a person has through skill or through um, cognitive ability. R is more about attitudinal. So can we predict how a person will behave? Can we help predict potential? Um, so the application is across many industries and many uh, different job relevancies, right, uh, where we've seen a lot of successes. We've had success in retail. We've had success in healthcare. We've had a success in hospitality. Uh, we continue to enjoy success in, in leadership development and coaching. And uh, one of our latest uh, products, which is also a passion product for myself, um, and, and also being free to be entrepreneurial as a small organization, um, you know, and we'll, we may talk about this later, but based upon my background, I wanted to extend our capability to those to give them the opportunity to actualize their true selves as they take assessments. So really education and test preparation and mindset around taking assessments. So we have products that cover the whole gambit. So how do you validly assess some of these behavioral things like leadership potential, for example? 
Absolutely. So so the, the good thing about this is the science around these things has been around since the 40s, right? And there's many different ways to do uh, these things. So you have companies out there that sort of use the young principles, you know, the, the Myers-Briggs type models to be able to measure people's personalities against a model. Uh, what we have is we have several scales that we've pre-validated against many behaviors. In the U.S., uh, there's a occupational database called ONET. Um, we use those and then we, we use those and the data that we've gathered to validate that not only do these measures um, accurately predict um, a person's potential, um, we also understand that they're valid and job related because that's the biggest thing. You, you want to make sure you, you can ask a lot of questions to predict things, but if those questions tend to discriminate against people or if they're not related to the job they're going to be doing, um, that could not only put uh, the person delivering the test into a lot of trouble, it can actually hurt the test taker themselves. So we invest a lot in science. Uh, the you know our chief scientist, Dr. Jack Jones, has been in the industry since the seventies, um, and the body of research that he maintains and continues to update um, is the basis behind every one of our assessments. It's really about validity, reliability, legal defensibility, and uh, you'll see even those things permeate through the atmosphere at places like ATP because uh, a test publisher can't survive or a valid test publisher can't survive without those things. Well, I think the um, ethics there that you and others have brought to the heart of ATP is, is really useful. And how about inclusivity? I mean, are these tests fair to different races and accessibility and just people who don't speak English well and things? Absolutely. And, and, and you don't develop one test uh, for those different contexts, right? So um, generally, our measures are to a sixth grade level, and they, they are designed to not discriminate against any particular group or ethnicity or gender background, any of those mixes, right? When it comes to language and culture, uh, we work with companies to adapt those things to proper contexts, um, because, you know, English words are not translated one word for word into different languages, nor is the context or the uh, the the content around it always designed uh, for different language or culture. Um, so we work with organizations to properly de deploy those things into different languages so that when the test taker understands the question that they've asked and it gives them a fair shot. But really, yeah, at the heart of our science is is fairness, is is making sure that everyone has the opportunity to represent themselves accurately and that that measure brings out their true representation and not something that's based upon a language uh, incompatibility or a cultural incompatibility. Now, there's been a lot of publicity in the U.S. about the admissions tests, which I appreciate are a different area of testing and not one that you're involved mm -hmm. with. Do you have any kind of perspective on that? Have they just got bad publicity or are they not following the best practices on inclusivity? Well, I think you'll have um, test uh, scientists, uh, uh, psychometricians that take a specific position, right? And I think you'll find most of them say that assessments are a tool as part of an assessment of a whole individual. I don't think you'll ever hear them say you'll, you rely on the results of this assessment only. I think also what you'll hear them say is that these tools are used to sort of help measure and improve and not necessarily to be used as economic barriers. And I think where um, some of these things have crossed over and why there's so much sensitivity is that you have administrators, uh, you have people that are attempting to measure performance, um, and they're using assessments as a tool to do that. And therefore, 
or the result of that is uh, the unintended consequences is teaching to the test, right? Um, and then on the other side of that, um, people perceive, and, and this is very much, this is even worse outside of the U.S. than it is the U.S., that, that this test is a barrier to opportunity, right? So rather than using the assessment as an opportunity to improve, I need to figure out how to get through this hurdle so that opportunity is open and it changes the individual motivation around that assessment. And I don't think the originators of the assessments, the builders of the assessments, or the people that developed the science around this ever intended them to be used that way, which is unfortunate. But yeah, it's it's negative in the U.S. in a lot of places. California has eliminated that requirement altogether. Um, I think that trend will continue. And you have some uh, industry experts that believe that the question answer assessment, as we believe today, is is challenged, right? There, there may be other ways to measure. Uh, moving forward. We don't know what that may be, but it's definitely under attack. And and I think the key point, which I think you were making at the beginning there, is that the assessment shouldn't be the sole piece of information that decides somebody's future. It should just be one piece of data in a mix of other things. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and it's that, that pressure, I mean, once again, around my personal passion, you know, assessment for me represented an opportunity. Um, it was something that allowed me uh, despite where I grew up, I, I came up in Chicago, right? And um, the neighborhood that I grew up in I had a, you know, Inglewood. I love Inglewood. Um, and we had a reputation, right? Um, a lot of violence. And usually wherever there's a lot of poverty, there is a lot of violence and a lot of crime and a lot of things. Um, and so statistically, I shouldn't be sitting in the seat talking to you. Statistically, I shouldn't have access to what I had access to. But my test scores, you know, the Iowa Basic Skills Test, the ACT, uh, allowed me even the entrance exam to my high school, right? There was a barrier. There's an entrance exam to the high school that I attended, which was a technical high school. Um, those tests allowed me to show, it allowed me to rise above my my destined quote unquote situation, right? And uh, be allowed to walk in circles and participate in places um, because my, my academic capability was now on display through a measurement, right? Um, on that same token, you have students that are just as intelligent, if not more intelligent as I am, um, that have anxiety issues around the assessment and then the cultural um, issues around taking an assessment that allowed them to not show their true selves. And, and that's a passion for me because I believe there are a lot of par- uh, smart people, a lot of smart people that are part of you know, historically uh, disenfranchised or protected classes um, that don't have the opportunity to show who they are because of uh, the stigma that's placed on them in society. So what do we need to do, people using tests or in the testing industry, to be more diverse and to make tests appropriate for, for everybody and give everybody opportunities? It's going to require, um, for the traditional sort of test publisher, it's going to require that we um, have a more inclusive view of what we deliver. Um, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, right? Early in the testing, my testing days, it was about your measures, your science, and it was about your customer, right? And then the test taker was kind of an individual to be managed through the process. Well, in 2022, um, you know, the, the people just are not having that, right? They realize they have a voice. The internet has given a voice and velocity to communication. Um, and society can quickly say that you're no longer valid, right? And so you can't ignore that. And so to me, as a test publishing industry, we need to be just as conscious and 
caregiving to the assessment taker as we are to our customer um, that's delivering the assessment. And that includes uh, some investment in ensuring that not only are we making our assessments fair and valid and reliable from a science perspective, but we're also providing opportunity intervention and um, perspective point of view to the test taker so that they can walk into the assessment with, um, with the right mindset, right? So I think there's investment on both sides. So how do we do that? How do we give people the right mindset? How do we deal with those people you said who were just as intelligent as you but didn't have the right mindset? So once again, and, and, and know uh, we have tools um, to help with this, right? Um, you know, Fifth Theory specifically has tools around test mastery and mindset. And one of the largest um, educational organizations that uh, deal with adults uh, getting credentials later in life, they, they use this tool now. Um, and it's designed around helping an individual uh, understand certain things about themselves um, so that they can walk into assessment. You know, do they feel productive? Do they feel energetic? Uh, do they feel prepared? Do they feel organized, right? Are they motivated to pass? All of those things, right? Um, so that when they walk in and they sit down at that exam, the material is more easy to recall versus dealing with, okay, Everyone here thinks I'm stupid. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail this anyway. You know, I'm of this race, so therefore I'm not supposed to have access. Uh, we want to eliminate those things from the from the equation. Um, on the same token, I, you know, having been through it as a student, I'm also a father, right? And uh, I have a daughter uh, who deals with a little bit of anxiety. And uh, she just recently um, got accepted into the nursing program at Illinois State University, which is a competitive program. And uh, she, uh, through her college career, the first couple of you know years of college, she dealt with severe anxiety around being perceived as a cheater. Right. Not because she's a cheater, um, but because there is a stigma associated that certain African-Americans are prone to do dishonest things, which we know is not true. Right. But she felt like she, she was especially going to be looked at. You know, if there was a proctor watching 10 people, she felt like they were going to look at her camera first. Right. And so she carried a great degree of, of anxiety while taking the assessment, making sure she didn't make the wrong moves, that the that the air conditioner didn't cut on at the right time or or whatever. She didn't want anyone questioning our motivations. And so just imagine trying to recall medical biological content in the midst of all of that. <laughs> right. And so the test mastery mindset is meant to deal with those types of anxieties so that you're not used. The, so they're not used against you during the testing process. Right. And and to me, recognizing that's real. And I know we do that to protect the integrity of the assessment. We have to. Right. In order to make sure the assessment and the score is valid. But we also just have to make sure that we're very, very sensitive and very, very considerate of the test taker. What about test anxiety more widely? Because I know there are quite a few people who suffer from that. Any, any mm -hmm. other thoughts on how we can make people less anxious or help people with test anxiety? Absolutely. And, and test anxiety is not just a, about race or class. They're just people that are born, they, you know, that, I'm not saying they're born, but they sit down and they see that bubble answer sheet and it creates feelings. Um, and, and, and once again, as test publishers and as test technology providers, 
there needs to be a sensitivity around that, right? Because, uh, you know, it, and I understand it being in the industry. Um, I understand exactly why they do it, but I hold several certifications myself, right? Even though in the court system, it's innocent until you're proven guilty. Going through the process, you don't feel innocent, right? You, you feel like you're expected to do something wrong and you have to prove that you are an honest person and that you won't do anything wrong so that you can versus, you know, so, so I think we need to, to, to watch that. We need to be sensitive to that. Um, along with providing the tools outside of the, the sort of material preparation, the documents, the mathematics, the things that we need to know from just a knowledge standpoint, we need to also invest in mindset, opportunity, atmosphere uh, standpoint so that that test taker is absolutely comfortable and that they can be their best selves. Um, because once again, this is a door opener. You know, you have people sitting down taking this exam and this may be the first person in that family to ever attend college. Right. So and we know that attending college can change the financial trajectory of a family, a family that was in poverty. Once you have a generation that goes to college, that next generation tends to not be in poverty. Right. So so we have to take all those things into uh, consideration and not just protecting the integrity of the, the result. You mentioned briefly proctoring a moment ago. Do you think there's something that our both test center proctors and remote proctors and proctoring companies need to do to be more inclusive or put off people less who've got anxiety? Yeah, I, I don't have a perfect answer to that. Um, you know, I, I don't want to equate it to policing or anything like that. But But usually when your mindset is trying to catch the bad guys, you're usually looking for bad behaviors, right? And I'm speaking very, very anecdotally. I do not run a proctoring company. Um, so I don't know um, that the types of training and sensitivity things that they may put them to. The companies may be very, very good at that. Um, I can only describe, you know, my experiences being in the industry and understanding why uh, they did it um, and then how I felt. Um, and so, you know, when you go in to, to take the exam, you know, there's a lot of checking to validate who you are. And then there's a lot of follow-up to make sure you're not doing anything you're not supposed to do, right? And it's, and it's almost the atmosphere as if you're expected to do something wrong, right? Which from a, a company that protects this stuff, that may be the case. It's like the police, <laughs> you know, they, they, they look for crimes to be committed. They're not necessarily looking around for people uh, that are doing the right thing. So is there sensitivity, I believe, that that can be trained in? Is there, is there an opportunity to understand that people of different backgrounds have different experiences when it comes to these things? I think so. Uh, I don't have a perfect answer, um, but I do believe that there's an opportunity for us to recognize it and start to train sensitivity about it and raise awareness about it. And I think as a result, behavioral change. Very, very interesting. So if somebody wants to put together a good testing program and wants to try and uh, be more inclusive, what would you suggest? What specific actions could they take? Well, first, I'd have them go to fifttheory.com and uh, express interest in test mastery and inclusion, right? Um, and, and once again, we have different ways to do this. We have a sponsorship approach um, that allows them to sponsor for their test program uh, individuals to go through this program take the self-assessment, get the coaching guide, um, along with whatever their preparation is. A lot of test providers actually do support preparation. They just support it from a skill standpoint. They support it from a an actual uh, data and material standpoint and not necessarily an attitude, behavioral mindset standpoint. So I think the a quick win is to augment your current test preparation um, uh, capabilities with something that deals with the person's mindset. And I think what you might may find is that your, your constituents are much more thankful and grateful because now you appear to be more invested in them and not just getting them through the test process. Fascinating. So basically, 
don't just concentrate on on the skills that people have to learn, but also the attitudes that people have to, particularly if they're coming from communities who may not have had a lot of experience of passing tests and showing academic or certification prowess. Absolutely. You, you, you have people out there that are just very good at taking tests. <laughs> and then you have individuals that are very, very intelligent. And then when they sit down, um, because of whatever weight they may be carrying with them, um, they don't believe that this is available to them, right? We want to do away with that. And should this apply also to employers and people uh, giving tests to people for promotion or compliance uh, during, during employment? It applies at every level um, because it's not just about entrance exams in the school. It's about sitting down. Uh, and actually, this product was conceptualized. And I, I can't describe the specific details, but uh, an individual taking a certification exam. So it literally was designed around a, a grown adult trying to enter into the workforce that had severe anxiety around assessment. Um, so the initial body of research was built up from the hypothesis of, man, you know, this person earned all A's in school, you know, wrote good papers, did good research, but it was something about sitting down at that exam or something that, about sitting down at that computer terminal that caused them to implode. And so, no, it's not just about uh, students. This is also about career. Um, it's also about uh, whatever it takes. If you have to sit down and take an exam, uh, then this, this product is for you or for people that, that design these programs basically building up people's confidence that they can do their best on the test day and that they are just able to do better than they perhaps think they are. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Jean Porter King, she's an admired speaker of mine. She's, she has a model uh, that talks about confidence and competence, right? And that when you go into a situation, you have to have both competence and confidence, right? And so if you, you, you know, competence is usually a given, you know, usually you're there because of your degrees, you're at, but if you don't have confidence in that competence, you can implode as if you don't even know the material. So we need to build up both. That sounds like a, a really great place to end this. Uh, thank you, Andre. Thank you. Some very interesting thoughts there that I'm sure lots of our listeners will take, take on board. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us today. We appreciate your support. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe to it through your favorite listening platform? Please reach out to me directly at johnaquestionmark.com with any questions. Please check out the Fifth Theory website if you'd like to learn more about them and reach out to either myself or Andre if you'd like to keep the conversation going. And you can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for our best practice webinars that we host monthly. Thank you for listening. And please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly. Mm-hmm.